You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to start with some breaking news near Pemberton tonight where a freight train has derailed, tumbling into a lake. It happened late this afternoon. These pictures just coming into the newsroom. The video shot on Gates Lake, also known as Birkin Lake. As you can see, some of the boxcars ended up in the water. It's unclear at this time what caused the derailment. We do have calls into CN Rail and are working to confirm what is in those cars. We can tell you, though, this is the same area where another train derailed last September. Any more details? We'll pass them on quickly. Now, RCMP are investigating a drive-by shooting that left a Burnaby home sprayed with bullets. It happened early this morning, and while police are calling the incident isolated, it may have connections to a kidnapping trial. Romina Dea joins us live with the details on this. It's disturbing to say the least, Romina. What have you learned today? It is, Sophie. It's hard to believe what we've uncovered today. A man who was kidnapped two years ago was supposed to take the stand this morning in a very high-profile trial, but the proceedings were abruptly halted because of a shooting in Burnaby this morning that could be linked. Residents fast asleep when they were woken up by gunfire around four in the morning. The first thing, a car, a faster car, and then uh, gunshots, a lot of gunshots. How many? Like 20. It was really faster. The front door of this Burnaby home riddled with bullet holes, along with a vehicle parked in the driveway. Somebody came running over and leaped aside in between the houses and knocked all my scaffolding over and, and all the ladders over. And One person was apparently inside the home, but he wasn't hit. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, we believe that this is an isolated incident. A possible motive to send a message, says a source. Global News has learned the house that was shot at is acquainted with a witness who was supposed to testify Wednesday morning in connection to a deadly shooting and kidnapping two years ago. The witness? The man who was kidnapped. That's him. Van V. Bacow and Samantha Lee were found dead in an East Vancouver home in September 2016. A four-year-old boy witnessed it all. The kidnapping victim, who is set to take the stand, was found two days later after a high-speed takedown in New Westminster. Six men are currently facing numerous charges, including aggravated assault, extortion and manslaughter. It was terrible, yeah. They scared me. It was like a movie. Back in Burnaby, RCMP say there's no risk to the public. Residents not so convinced. Get a little bit here. All right, Romina, what do we uh, know about what will happen with the trial now? Despite the safety concerns cited by the court today, this trial is expected to continue tomorrow. The witness, who is apparently in protective custody, is also expected to take the stand tomorrow. As far as the investigation goes here in Burnaby, investigators are asking the public, anyone who saw anything, who hasn't come forward yet, to please do so. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Ramina Dea and Burnaby. A warning tonight from a B.C. man who was caught in an international scam and lost more than $20,000. The scam is a familiar one, but as Ted Chernecki reports, while the victim admits he fell for it, he says there's someone else who shares the blame. It can't be easy to go public and admit you've been duped on the Internet. But in the interests of all those other potential fraud victims online, and to raise awareness about a chartered bank's role in this particular scam, he is going public. 
effort. It's going across Canada. This is a big one right now. The RCMP are involved. In this case, it starts with LinkedIn, where the fraudsters scour resumes looking for skill sets that match the scam they've set up. A few years ago, one could be criticized for not being aware when someone out of the blue calls you, but that's not the way it works anymore. Well, it's all about business connections. I mean, you know, I assume because LinkedIn is professional and because almost everybody I know is on it, that it was legitimate. A bogus engineering company, supposedly from China, is claiming to have contractors worldwide and needs someone in Canada to help collect delinquent accounts. The victim is asked to set up a bank account, and the first check to arrive from one of those delinquent subcontractors, in this case $48,000, is very much legitimate and is cleared by the Royal Bank. What I was waiting for was check number one to clear. If that's good, it gave everybody a sense of trust, and that's what they're building. A second check arrives for $22,000. It's also cleared by the Royal Bank, but only after the victim has forwarded these funds back to headquarters does the check bounce, and the bank closes the account, leaving the victim out $22,000. And read the fine print that the bank, when they say clear, they don't mean it. Royal Bank says because it was the customer who initiated the transaction, it can't be held liable. In a statement, clients must always ensure any potential employers and funds are legitimate and take extra precautions to ensure they are comfortable with the transaction and that they are dealing with a trusted source when receiving or transferring funds. Um, we've got to be really, really careful before we you know, start depositing things into our own account and moving them around in our own account. Uh, banks are not on the hook for fraudulent checks, and that's just the long and the short of it. Variants of this scam still top the Better Business Bureau's most active frauds. Ted Schnecke, Global News. A three-alarm fire in Chilliwack early this morning has forced at least five families from their homes. The fire broke out in a new complex on Foxglove Avenue in the community of Sardis. At least two homes, a number of garages and one carriage house have been destroyed. Everyone got out, though, thanks in part to one resident who lost his home but ran around alerting neighbors to the danger. I heard the guy yelling fire. He did a good job running around, waking everybody up. My son's in a wheelchair, and so when he came around, he saw Isaac laying out on the lawn. He was coming to make sure that we were safe. In the community in general, in Chilliwack, it's amazing uh, the folks that will step up and... uh, put themselves at risk, if you will. I believe 16 uh, structures here that have got some sort of a exposure fire damage. Uh, extensive process when we get here and it's that involved to control the fire. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. And here's another one. A second fire flared up this morning at the site of that major blaze that destroyed several businesses on West 4th last week. The small fire, this time, was spotted at the back of the scorched businesses. There's no word yet on how it started, but fire crews do consider it suspicious. As we reported yesterday, fire investigators believe last Thursday's fire that gutted the popular Topanga Cafe and other residences was likely caused by a cigarette. More now on allegations made by the former commander of B.C.'s illegal gaming enforcement team, who says his unit was handcuffed from tackling criminal activity and money laundering in casinos. Fred Pinnock making a startling claim about what his team was unable to investigate. John Hua reports. Authorities called it the flow of dirty money into B.C. casino, captured on this undated surveillance footage. But what happened outside the view of cameras? A burning question for the former commander of BC's integrated illegal gaming enforcement team. A young security worker came to me 
while I was the unit commander of IGET and said he was monitoring the, the uh, criminal activity of a loan shark, a known loan shark, in the casino which employed him. The statement tied to loan sharking came in 2006. The casino, the River Rock in Richmond. The shocking allegation. And uh, his security manager came to him and said, what are you doing? It's bad for business. That security manager then escorted the loan shark to an area within that casino that everyone knew was not covered by cameras. Pinnock says he wanted IGET to investigate criminal activity of this nature, but setting up a covert operation inside legal casinos was outside their mandate. I communicated that to uh, the people to whom I reported, as well as my partner agency, GPEB, and uh, I was advised that it had been investigated, and nothing more was said. What Pinnock believes might have been a lack of action on a serious allegation is a major concern to the minister now responsible for the gaming policy and enforcement branch. The allegation is really serious. I can think of a number of violations of provincial law and policy uh, and potentially uh, criminality. In his report on money laundering, Peter German wrote, loan sharks may be financed and supported by organized crime networks who are also involved in money laundering activities. For many years, Lower Mainland casinos unwittingly served as laundromats for the proceeds of organized crime. The owner of the River Rock Great Canadian Gaming Corporation wouldn't put anyone on camera, but insists staff don't have the discretion to deviate from compliance policies, and the casino will always cooperate with police. The RCMP has never expressed any concerns to us about our company's compliance with the laws and regulations that govern our industry, and Great Canadian is unaware of any allegations which may have been made to the RCMP. But when asked directly if Great Canadian had any knowledge of its security staff making the allegation to the Gaming Policy and Enforcement Branch, we were told there was no further comment. Mr. Pinnock is a credible person, uh, and uh, he was in charge of an important area of law and policy. If he believes that this kind of issue uh, wasn't dealt with, then uh, it should be. Pinnock says allegations like this continue to haunt him. We had the tradecraft, we had the experience, and the resources, uh, and I think they should have been applied. Left to wonder what if he was allowed to do his job. John Hua, Global News. The Lower Mainland is home to the largest government-approved cannabis greenhouse in the country, and Global News got a tour of it today. That comes after complaints from unhappy Alder Grove residents who say the facility is spewing out noise pollution and a smell that they can't take anymore. Our Aaron MacArthur got the tour, and Aaron, the company says it's trying to be a good neighbor. The facility is enormous, 1.3 million square feet of cannabis plants under glass. The biggest challenge for canopy growth, managing expectations and perceptions and dealing with neighbors. It is row upon row of greed. Hundreds of thousands of plants under glass. Canopy growth ramping up production in order to meet a demand that is set to explode. There's an incredible amount of expansion that goes on in our business. Uh, I think this facility alone is just north of $70 million in, in expansion and retrofitting. So we're very serious about what we do and we're moving very, very quickly. The greenhouse takes up about 30 football fields. Neighbors are concerned about the smell and the noise from the industrial scale operation. Canopy Growth has installed a variety of measures to deal with the smell, but that has seemed to make things worse. The perfume cannons, as locals call them, smell awful. Scent from the cannons is like a fabric softener or Febreze smell. Um, after you be here for 10 minutes, you get a tickle in the back of your throat. 
that just doesn't go away. Canopy Growth says it is trying to be a good neighbor, saying it has spent a million dollars trying to deal with the odor and planning on bringing in other measures to ensure the people who live next door are happy. Okay, well, we, we take our, our uh, neighborly responsibilities very, very seriously. Um, we have had uh, open and continued dialogue with our neighbors about a number of uh, issues that they have had, so around odor. Neighborhood says the company can be and should be doing more. Seem to be a slap in the face. We're just going to fix this smell by putting in these cannons, and so now we're plagued with the noise, and then we get this horrible perfume that who knows what it's doing to the environment. The operation set to reach full capacity later this year. Neighbors want a permanent solution to their concerns as soon as possible. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Right now, the plants are designated as medicinal. Production is ramping up, though, for October when recreational marijuana is legal. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks, Aaron. New video tonight from the Thai hospital where 12 boys and their soccer coach are now recuperating after being rescued from a flooded cave. Health officials say they're all in remarkably good condition, considering their more than two-week ordeal underground. Tonight, a first glimpse at the boys after that daring three-day rescue mission, appearing relaxed, wearing face masks and gowns, waving from their hospital beds. Their families kept six feet away behind glass to prevent infection. Health officials say the 12 boys are in good condition, mainly because of their coach, 25-year-old Ekapal Chatawong. He was the last person out and was the weakest. In a letter, he apologized to the boys' parents. His aunt telling us she's relieved. His uncle still worried. He must feel remorse that he went there with the kids, he said. But what's done is done. The incredible mission, a half mile underground, each boy sedated to ease anxiety. Tethered to divers to get them through the dark, narrow passages, new video showing parts of the rescue the boys carried on stretchers. We knew that uh, if we didn't act when we acted, then there was not going to be a successful rescue. And just after the last person was out, the main water pump failed, flooding the cave, sending rescue workers scrambling to escape. By then, the boys and their coach were free, reunited at the hospital, where they'll spend up to a week. At the school where six of the boys go... Did you jump up and down? Yeah, <laughs> around the house. Their friends anxious for them to come home. And members of the local caving community are using the Triumph in Thailand to highlight what they say is a gap in life-saving services here. Nadia Stewart explains why local cavers say their rescue service is unsustainable without more government help. What started out as a dangerous rescue mission ended in victory. The lives of these boys saved by a team of about a thousand volunteers who put their own lives on the line. An operation of that complexity is a possibility in B.C. Doug Monroe is part of a small community of cave rescuers in British Columbia who've been watching the situation in Thailand very closely. In a province with over a thousand caves, Monroe says high-risk rescues are possible here, especially with more inexperienced people trying caving. But the BC Alberta Cave Rescue Service is concerned they might not have adequate resources to help someone who could get stuck. One of our stretchers retails for $3,000 plus shipping. We uh, sell t-shirts and stickers to raise enough money to be able to buy one. 
we don't have enough funds in the bank at this moment to buy another. Monroe says a lack of stable funding is to blame. His team responds to about three to four calls per year, but only receive $25 per volunteer per day and 50 cents per kilometer driven by way of compensation. There's money that comes in if we respond to a task, but that money typically only covers the costs incurred of that task. The provincial government did give a one-time funding uh, to search and rescue groups through the BC Search and Rescue Association. That association decided we actually weren't eligible, so Cave Rescue didn't see any of that. Search and rescue groups receive a total of $9 million in government money each year. The Minister of Public Safety says he's willing to discuss whether the Cave Rescue Service's financial needs are being met. If there's issues in terms of their ability to function or if there's specific issues concerning their ability to either provide uh, specific training, you know, obviously uh, the, the province would take a look at that. Monroe says the need for his team of volunteers to be well-equipped, trained and funded is key. We're at a point now where if we're going to be ready when the province calls, the province is going to need to help us out. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Right now, though, anger and disbelief tonight from Bear Aware advocates over Instagram posts from the North Shore. As Grace Key reports, experts are stunned at the behavior of a family that appears to be doing everything wrong. (laughs) It's shocking video posted on Instagram that shows two girls inside their home. One hand feeding a cub. It's believed to have been taken from the North Shore. Another video shows a bear approaching the sliding glass door. A man hands it a bag of crackers. Then the sow and cub are both eating away. That video has been brought to the attention of conservation officers. We received a report this morning about a video that is on Instagram in regards to uh, some feeding of bear cubs. So there is an open investigation right now? There is currently, yes. One comment reads... The mom came two years ago, and last year she was pregnant, now the baby. The North Shore Black Bear Society is also concerned about the video and what will happen when the cub starts to get bigger. What will they do then when he shows up for food? It was possible if he ever approached a house and the sliding glass door was open, or, you know, he could even become more aggressive. Conservation officers are not only concerned about safety for the family, but also what this could mean for the bears. They're becoming habituated, comfortable around humans, as well as food condition. And that is a recipe for a potentially very dangerous animal. And you're talking about potentially could be put down. That's right. Unfortunately, that that could be the case if it becomes a public safety risk. Officers will attempt to speak with the family. Feeding dangerous wildlife is illegal under the Wildlife Act. The fine, $345. Grace Key, Global News. Some good news for businesses that want to serve parts of B.C. left without commercial intercity bus service as a result of Greyhound Canada's withdrawal. The Passenger Transportation Board announcing today it'll be fast-tracking applications to encourage other operators to fill the gap. Citing dwindling ridership, Greyhound Canada announced on Monday it will cease operations in Western Canada by the end of October. Well, if you feel a little nervous whenever you leave your car at a long-term parking lot, this won't make you feel any better. A couple of drivers in Toronto say their experiences at an airport park-and-fly confirmed all of their fears. Whether it's a business trip or a holiday, getting away often starts here at Toronto's Pearson Airport. It means boarding a plane, leaving a car behind, and sometimes discovering a surprise ahead. Is this bad business? 
I, I think it's outrageous. But I don't. I think it's, it should be against the law. I just find it deplorable. I looked down at the mileage, and I estimated there was approximately 104 kilometers put on my vehicle since uh, I dropped it off. Donald Cook used Park and Fly's valet lot earlier this month. He believed the car wouldn't be moved. It was. Despite the fact they put 104 kilometers on my vehicle, they stole my uh, accessible permit. You know, I mean, they changed my satellite radio. They dirtied uh, the vehicle. Business professor Benson Honig left his car at Park and Fly in the spring. It just says, do you want the oil change? This is the price. You check the box and that's it. You had no idea they'd be taking the vehicle someplace else. Absolutely no idea. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have checked the box. A driver from the oil change company smashed it in a three-vehicle accident. Airbags were deployed. The car, a write-off. I give them my car. They give the car to someone else. Someone else crashed it. They're not responsible. In both cases, customers said they'd never have left their cars had they been told the cars would be driven away. Park and Fly told Global News on any given day we're serving thousands of customers and as such have an established policy and procedure that guides our customer service agents and ensuring we exceed our customers' expectations. I got no answers from them whatsoever other than just offering me a, a discount on future travel. Bonick says Park and Fly's customer service and accountability was awful. He says denying responsibility is a big red flag. We should not allow a company to do business that way. They were to get into an accident, injure somebody, kill somebody. I am totally responsible for it. When you leave your car behind and the key with it, there's a chance someone will use it when you're away. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Hamilton. new bridge with a deadly history imploded today in Colombia. Back in January, 10 people died when a section of the bridge collapsed during construction. Tests determined the remaining part of the bridge had the same dangerous flaw, so it was demolished, leaving a giant construction crane in place to go down with the bridge. Once they've cleared away the debris, they will start rebuilding the span. Now, an amazing story of survival from a plane crash in the mountains of Alaska. The Coast Guard racing to find the wreckage and incredibly found everyone on board alive. It took rescue teams nearly three hours to find the wreckage, the battered seaplane colliding into a rocky mountain in a remote section of Alaska. On board, 11 people, including the pilot, somehow survived the harrowing crash landing. Authorities say the single-engine float plane like this one was soaring through Alaska's beauty when disaster suddenly struck. After the plane's mayday call reached the Coast Guard, a helicopter crew battled turbulent weather, fighting rain and fog before finding the crash site 2,000 feet up this mountainous, rocky terrain. The Taquan Air commuter flight was scheduled to fly from Steamboat Bay to Ketchikan, but officials say it crashed on Mount Jumbo on the Prince of Wales Island. The accident site was at about 2,000 feet in an area of tree and rock-covered terrain, and um, unfortunately the weather was not cooperating. A Coast Guard helicopter hovering over the crash site managed to hoist the passengers to safety. It was a miracle no one was killed, most of the passengers suffering minor injuries, one listed in serious condition. Taquan Air says it suspended all scheduled flights today and is cooperating with the NTSB. Ketchikam, Alaska, known for its splendid, rugged beauty. But on this day, this flight offered a terrifying view 11 people will never forget.
A memory lapse at a Missouri gas station sparks a half million dollar fire. Caught on video, a minivan pulls away with the gas pump still stuck in the vehicle. Well, that causes the gas to spill onto the roadway, which was eventually ignited by the hot engine of a Lamborghini. The owner could only watch as his car worth more than $500,000 Canadian is turned into a charred hulk in only a matter of minutes. Oh, okay. heartbreaking. No kidding. All right, some breaking news for you now and a warning for anyone who rode the Canada line last Sunday. That's right. Transit police say they found debit and credit card skimmers at two Canada line stations on July 8th. Two skimmers were at the Vancouver International Airport station and one was at the Vancouver, uh, Vancouver City Centre station. All three were found in the late afternoon and police determined that they hadn't been in place before Sunday. So if you used your debit or credit cards at one of those two stations last Sunday, you should check with your bank to make sure that the card hasn't been compromised. Now to health matters tonight. The federal government is trying to curb the opioid crisis by increasing its oversight of drug companies. Ottawa says it will create a compliance and enforcement team to monitor opioid manufacturers and enforce laws against improper drug promotion. That comes shortly after a dozen pharmaceutical companies stopped their marketing campaigns for opioids, which the government says contributes to over-prescribing the drugs. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, after 119 days without rain, but who's counting? Phoenix meteorologist Crystal Henderson decided to do her forecast outside in the rain. Um, I'm right I'm right outside the 12 News studios, and with all this rain coming down, you can imagine why the umbrellas are going up, but instead, as you can see, it's inside out. I'm yeah, it seems a little more like a monsoon, and things got worse from there. First, it went from day to night. Then it went from complete dryness to now I am soaked. This is a super soaking storm. It looks like we went from the desert to the tropics in the middle of a hurricane. Have to be doing some damage. Oh my goodness. I mean, looking at this storm approaching from the east, it looked like doomsday. And there goes my hat. <laughs> that umbrella is useless. Oh Wind gusts of nearly 120 kilometers an hour. Henderson managed to stay on her feet. She finally ended up going inside when she saw lightning approach. Oh my. Man. You can see the, I think the camera person's umbrella was, also, whatever, the rain cover on the camera wasn't really that effective either. Crazy. Now tonight is a night you'd want to be outside, but we've yes. got Christy in the studio here with a gorgeous evening. Thanks, Chris. You know, I just want to say I was in Edmonton for three years. They used to put me outside as well, and I got pelted by a number of storms. And I think on my demo video to be able to get this job, I had a shot just like that woman's, I'm pretty sure. All right. Uh, before we talk about our gorgeous weather, a scary afternoon in southern Saskatchewan yesterday. Four tornadoes touched down. We were down in the basement maybe two or three minutes at the most. That's right, it didn't take long for the twisters to do their damage. Huge farm silos ripped off their foundations. Semi-trailers flipped over on their sides. Wind speeds reached 130 kilometers an hour. The storms brought torrential rain and hail the size of golf balls. Now, while the, uh, wasn't, there was a lot of damage, thankfully, no reports of any injuries or fatalities, which is amazing. So, so lucky. 
as we are so lucky and we don't deal with uh, extreme weather like that. It is beautiful out there and this is pretty much a scene right across the province today. Not a lot going on, although uh, temperatures today are near seasonal, 22 along the water's edge. You would expect it to be much hotter further inland. Surrey did hit 28 degrees, but look at the Fraser Valley, 26, 27 degrees. Don't worry, if you want the heat, it is going to come for you tomorrow and you'll see it over the next couple of days. Interior regions 30 and through a Soyuz. Now, the general pattern over the next little while will be for it to stay warm across southern BC. Those of you across northern BC, you'll have one wave of cool weather on Friday and another one on Sunday. So really, the province is going to be split in half in terms of that weather. But as we head towards next week, that's when all regions will start to see things warm up. So you can see the cool weather across the north coast here, mainly dry though, but that cool air will shift further inland into your Friday. Across the south though, a hot one, 35 degrees in Asuyus with the humidex uh, up to maybe 36, 37 degrees. South coast, 23 degrees near the water. We'll see up to 29 degrees further inland. A little cooler Friday, Saturday, but really re rebounding Sunday and into our Monday. And it's We Love Water Wednesdays. Here's a tip for you from Metro Vancouver. A garden hose can deliver a surprisingly large volume of water each minute. So uh, it's important to put a shutoff nozzle on your hose so it only runs when you need to use it. And I'll leave you with this beautiful shot. This is a rather, you know, unsettled day yesterday. It didn't really feel like summer yesterday, and that's a nice shot of that rainy weather. Thanks to Tara for that one. New Ants up in the Nass Valley there. Glad that's to know right. they're watching. Beautiful colors. Mm -hmm. Well, if you heard a lot of cheering and screaming coming out of nearby windows today, there's a very easy explanation. World Cup. Global Sonia Diol was out in the middle of all the fans glued to today's crucial England-Croatia matchup. Full disclosure, she's an England fan. The national anthem kicking off a party atmosphere at London Pub on Main Street this morning to watch England versus Croatia in the World Cup semi-final. Feeling really patriotic. Come on, it's coming home. It's coming home. A big deal for these England fans. The last time England was in a World Cup semi-final was 28 years ago. We still got one more step to go, and then we're in. Only five minutes in, and England scores. And back at Hyde Park in the UK, it was raining beer. Fans in Vancouver already planning a trip back to Blighty for Sunday's final against France. Why back on Saturday? Gonna watch it in London on Sunday and come back on Monday because we go back to work. The one and only time England's reached a World Cup final in 1966 when they won. Back then there were no cell phones, no computers and no Croatia. The small country equalising in the 68th minute and scoring another goal in extra time. Back at London pub, the dream slipping away and then it was all over. Croatia 2, England 1. For the first time in history, Croatia's made it to a World Cup final. Tears of joy for fans at the Croatian Cultural Centre on Commercial Drive, while tears of oh no, not again for me and my British friends back at the pub. England did well, heartbreaking, but I'm proud. This is Sonia Diol, seriously hurting for Global News.
She looked like she was trying not to cry. She came up to the sports department and she says, Jay, I need help. I'm like, uh, she's like, I'm having a really bad day. And I'm busy. And I'm like, what's the matter? She's like, the soccer match. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. Four million people in the country of Croatia. And yet, Four there million. they are. Do you want to keep That's going with my intro? Because I've got that in my intro, oh, actually. Yeah. Oh, great. sorry. There. I didn't know. Yeah, I should have amazing. Should we get to it? Let's, let's do let's it. Let's do it. A World Cup drought, as uh, Sonia mentioned, was ending today. Either England was moving on to the World Cup final for the first time since winning it all on home soil back in 66, or tiny Croatia, as Chris mentioned, the uh, country with a population of 4 million would make history by advancing to its first ever World Cup final. Want to see intensity? Check it out. Harry Kane, Mario Mandzukic. Uh, but it was the three lines with a quick start off the corner. It is Kieran Trippier. It is delicious. Glorious, glorious England goal. Picture perfect. And England in their immaculate whites have made an immaculate start. England all over Croatia in the opening half had their opportunities to go up by at least a goal or two. World Cup leading scorer Harry Kane in tight had a couple cracks at it to add to his tournament leading six goals. Can't find the back of the net and sure enough comes back to haunt England. Matic for Vasalko aimed in beyond to Mandzukic and fired home by Perisic. Croatia's cravings are satisfied at least for now. Pickford beaten by Perisic and the semi-final is back where it began. Remained 1-1 off to extra time another set piece for England. It's another wasted opportunity. Just a brilliant header by John Stones. Looked destined to find the back of the net. And Veselko with the header. So though did Perisic. Mandzukic! Croatia hit the front. Croatia may be going all the way. Mario Mandzukic pounced. Croatia. Wasted opportunities for England. Jubilation for Croatia. 2-1 the final. They win their third straight match in extra time. They're going to meet France in Sunday's World Cup final. All right, from the pitch to center court at Wimbledon, Roger Federer. Ah, but it goes from bad to worse if you're like me, dreaming of the Sunday Daily Double. No England in the World Cup final and no Roger Federer. He was up two sets against Kevin Anderson. Had match point in the third. But Anderson beats him in the third set and the next two. He's the U.S. Open runner-up, and he took it to Roger Federer today. Fifth and final set went 90 minutes. Anderson bounces Federer 2-6, This match went four hours and 14 minutes. So that meant no Think potential clash between Milos Ronic and Roger Federer. More than a rave sunshine for the guy who's still in search of his elusive Grand Slam. This was the class, uh, clash of the Giants. Think Big John Stud versus Andre the Giant. Milos, six foot five. Isner, six foot ten. Both these guys can unleash the power. Milos took the opening set six four, but he was broken three times. And it was Isner getting the job done today. In his 40 previous attempts, he'd never made it through to the semifinals of a Grand Slam. That's the second most in the 50-year professional era, but he got it 
it done today. The ninth seed taking out Milos Ronic. 6-7, 7-6, 6-4, 6-3. He'll meet Kevin Anderson on Friday. Rafa had to pull out of last year's Wimbledon due to injury. Uh, he dueled with Juan Martin Del Potro in a five-set thriller. He outlasts Del Potro and just barely wins at 7-5, 6-7, 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. This match almost hitting the five-hour mark. He's going to meet Novak Djokovic in the other semi. Just two of his 17 grass slams, by the way, coming on the grass at Wimbledon. Sarah Bergen's first ride at BC Super Week was a victorious one last night. Canada's national criterion champion was sick all weekend. She missed the opening three races, stayed in bed, nursed herself back to winning health on a diet of pancakes and ice cream. Vancouver's Haley Gill, third. Women are on the track right now, racing Gastown. Men's race featuring a repeat performance by Florence Nauer. Sat back all race and waited until the final two laps to make his move. Tough to duplicate last year's newest Mr. Grand Prix victory form because afterwards he proposed to his girlfriend. But he makes the uh, trip to the finish line for his third trip to the podium in BC Super Week. Men on the cobblestones in Gastown at 7.30. Stage five uh, yeah, of the Tour de France. The Always a colorful jersey. countryside display. Greg I'll do the translation. The Yellow Knight farmers in Brittany sending along their greetings to us. Very good. It was actually Google. <laughs> Seven riders broke away early in the stage. Watch the rider on the far right. Ellie Gesbert tries to hang on, veers off, does a little landscaping, and then the face plant. Youch! Got back on the bike, finished the stage. All okay. Another fantastic finish, though. It's the sprint to the end, and it's another Peter Sagan victory. Doubles the stage wins. He wins yesterday and today, but it's Greg Van Avermaet who retains the overall lead. That's it. Got it all in. Well done. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Coming up on ET Canada, who's the richest member of the Kardashian-Jenner family? I know you're wondering. It's not Kim, by the way. And previews of a Frankenstein movie and two Joker movies. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, it sounds more than a little weird. People flocking to Queen Elizabeth Park in Vancouver to see something that smells like rotting flesh. But when it's something you can only experience every few years... It almost sounds worth it. Linda Ellsworth has the story. Every flower produces a unique scent, a complex mixture of compounds formulated to attract a particular kind of pollinator. The goal of every flower is to get pollinated and produce seeds, so it's a reproductive urge by the flower in order to get their, their seeds set. Flowers that need to attract nectar-loving insects produce sweet smells. And then there's this. I have the corpse flower, and the name is very descriptive of what is coming our way. At the Bloedel Conservatory in Queen Elizabeth Park, the young corpse flower, native to Sumatra, is about to bloom for the first time and create a putrid perfume irresistible to certain beetles and flies. As soon as you walk in the door, you're going to know it's flowering. It should fill the entire space with the scent of rotting meat. Other descriptions, a mix of Limburger cheese, rotting fish, sweaty socks and feces. A combination that's attracting non-pollinators as well. To be honest with you, I'm kind of intrigued to see what it smells like. <laughs> Would you want to smell it? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because when I'm older, I want to be a forensic anthropologist. While you might be like puking a little bit while you're looking at it, I feel like it's still like it's an interesting sight to see. 
The process began a month and a half ago with an inch-tall shoot. Since then, it's rapidly grown to nearly six feet. I feel kind of like an expectant father. I don't quite know when the baby's coming, and it could be, it could be tomorrow, it could be the weekend. We figure it's probably going to be about three or four days from now. When it blooms, as seen in this time lapse from Chicago, the spectacle will be short-lived, 48 hours at most. The conservatory will extend its hours to accommodate the throngs of old factory thrill seekers. I'm proud of it, her, him, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Pretty amazing. So Good thing cool. it's not smell-o-vision. <laughs> when they say stop and smell the flowers, they don't mean that one. Not no. that one. Okay. Not the Titan Arum. Uh, wow. Wow. Hey, right? Look yeah, the you. genus species yeah. name. He's been uh, doing his trivial pursuit. Apparently. Just a little je Jeopardy preparation. No, uh, beautiful evening out there. Yes, so um, not too bad for lows over the next couple of days, but I think by the time you hit the end of the weekend, it'll start to get uncomfortable at night, but nice stretch of weather. And a bike race tonight. Gastown Grand Prix, head down to see it. This is Global News. I'm Bailey Nicholson. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says the federal government needs to intervene in Greyhound.